That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. You're the mom, the maid, the keeper of the cookies. You do it all and you look good doing it. It's parenthood on a mother level. Here's your host, Denise Hanitka. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 100 of On a Mother Level. I'm your very proud host, Denise Hanitka, and I'm so glad that you are here to share in this milestone with me. 100. 100. I know you're like, shut up, lady. Who cares? But 100. That's a lot of episodes. That's a lot of my voice. And it's a lot of really good quality conversations with moms, their stories, their highs, their lows, their joys, their tears. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here for my journey and for getting on our level, on a mother level. Thank you. Episode 100 starts with my little viewing recommendation for you. I highly recommend that you go and watch the Adele special with Oprah. Adele, first and foremost, is a queen. Her voice is unmatched. It is out of this world. For her to stand on this stage with nothing but a microphone and you cannot take your eyes off of her. She's not dancing. There's no pyrotechnics. It's just her and this voice. It's captivating. But the other thing that I want you to watch this special for is for what she says when she talks about herself. Okay, so, you know, beyond her singing, people have been talking about the fact that she's lost over 100 pounds in the past two years. And she talks about how that happened in recovery from her divorce and how she was having so much anxiety dealing with being a single mom and, you know, trying to move forward with her life. And so she talked about how she turned her gym time and her time with her personal trainer into her time and how it became a plan when she had no plan. And I identified with that so very much. My fitness journey, if you will, um, began when I was dealing with postpartum depression. And so I understand that whole notion of this is a thing that I do when I don't really know what else to do. But what else she said that I think is so important for all of us in whatever area of our life that we need to claim is Oprah at one point asked like, oh, so like how much do you lift or like what do you, you know, what do you do at the gym? And Adele said, plainly and straightforward, she said, I'm an athlete. I lift weights. I'm an athlete. 
Okay. Now I'm thinking about how I would have answered that question. I would have said, yeah, I mean, like I go to the gym, but I don't actually really know what I'm doing there. Like I'm so like so, so dumb. I just like barely can even try. It's like so stupid. And you, you like downplay it and you act like you have no business, you know, talking about something. You're not, you know, a power lifter, you know, weren't in the Olympics. So you're not an athlete. You're not a weightlifter, you know, whatever. Like how many areas of our life do we downplay? I do it. I do it in so many areas of my life. I say, yeah, I have a podcast, you know, but I I mean, you know, it's just small. It's just like a little podcast or yeah, I'm a news anchor, uh, but it's just, I mean, I'm in just in, in a small market, you know, just in Iowa. It's, you know, just small, just a little, you just kind of always backing off instead of saying, I'm a news anchor. I'm a podcaster with 100 episodes. I'm a runner. I'm an athlete. I'm a weightlifter. Sometimes it feels uncomfortable to declare and to claim the things that are ours. But with this 100 episode, I vow to myself that I will begin to claim what is mine. I will begin to claim what I have worked for. And I will claim my accomplishments instead of excusing them or backing off of them or trying to act like they're not a big deal because you don't want to sound boastful or bragging. So instead, I'm going to think of the areas of my life that I can claim, that I can say I am. And so that's my challenge to you this week in honor of this 100th episode. What is your I am? I am so excited for you to hear this conversation with my friend Joni Abbott. Joni, I know you will recognize her voice. She has been on the radio for many, many years. That's how I first got to meet her. And she is one of those friends who always, for me, is like a North Star. She makes me feel like the best version of myself when I'm around her. I always feel like I'm pointing true North when I'm talking to Joni. And I think that will come through in this conversation. She makes me feel like I am flying. And we talk about manifesting our dreams, declaring what it is that we want, and my favorite word, having the audacity to speak it, to write it down, and to declare it. The audacity. I like that word because it's part of <laughs> that hilarious meme where it's like a Harry Potter book and the <laughs> and the the cover of the Harry Potter book, the title of it it says Harry Potter and the audacity of this bitch. <laughs> Cracks me up every time. But the audacity. What do you have the audacity to ask for? The audacity to declare. That's what episode 100 is all about. Once again, I have to say thank you for sharing this episode, for sharing episodes one through 99 with a friend, for helping this beautiful project grow, for sharing in the stories of moms, for giving me the feedback that says I needed to hear this this week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 100 times thank you. Here's our guest, Joni Abbott. You are radiant as ever. Oh my gosh. You're always that way, girl. <laughs> it's hard to keep up with. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Lots. I mean, you know, the world always ebbs and flows and 
you know, there's always changes, but still the same, the same passionate me. Yeah. Are you in a peak or are you in a valley in life? You know, I don't know if it's possible for it to happen simultaneously, but some things are peaks, some things are valleys, and some some things are like the swinging bridges you're hanging on for dear life for. Okay, I'm going to say that's a thousand percent accurate. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah. you know, it's like it never and thank goodness it all doesn't happen at once. Right. Like not everything is a swinging bridge. Not everything is a tsunami. There's just portions of it that are. And then you're just like, oh, OK, good thing for this happy thing going on over here for balance. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I would say I'm in a valley in the podcasting world because I'm sitting in some stupid conference room. My microphones are locked in some man's office that I do not have access to. I have no access to a podcast studio. I'm on episode 100 and I do not have any of the basics of podcasting and I'm, and I'm pissed about it. Oh, well, you, I, I, I believe your feelings. You have your feelings. I will hold space for those feelings. I will get pissed with you and then we will somehow, I don't know, make it work like we always do as moms. Um, I feel like the, uh, the concept of holding space is having a moment. I feel like everyone's talking about making space and holding space. And maybe that's because I'm listening to Hoda Kotb's new podcast <laughs> called Making Space. Hoda. But everybody's talking about this concept of holding and making space. What does that mean to you? So first, I think it's important to understand we don't have to hold space for anybody but ourselves and our own healing. Like, I think that's its own space in and of itself. If we choose to hold space for somebody we love, care about, a friend, or even a stranger, if it just kind of comes up, it just means I think you're going to be a good listener. You're going to be a witness to whatever's happening in their life right now. There's a a concept called sacred witness, you know, where you are just there and you're present and you're giving it attention and you're giving them some attention and obviously some energy of yours to maybe help get them through. Maybe let them know that you care. Maybe let them know that um, they're not alone in this world and that we are just a reflection of one another. You are the absolute best at that, by the way. (laughs) Oh gosh. I, you know what though? I always feel like, isn't it like us moms, right? Though to kind of feel like we're failing in one or another area in that somebody gives you a compliment and you're like, oh, but I remember all the wrong things that I did in that space. I remember the time I didn't hold space. That's what I, that sticks out in my mind. So I'm going to reframe that and say, thank you very much. And I appreciate it. And I will do better when I need to, when I can. Yeah. So catch me up and catch our listeners up, Joni. Tell me about your family. How old are your girls now? Oh my gosh, um, 20. My oldest is 20, I know. Uh, my next daughter is 18 and my youngest is now 13. So they, it was like, we hit the teenage years and it was just a straight shoot up into adulthood. And now I'm like, I have almost totally grown women. Now what? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now what? Now what? Well, so it's, it's this interesting concept of like learning to let go and learning to kind of stay in my own lane as a mother, but not try to be over bossy or, you know, overstay my welcome in their space and their lane. And uh, the letting go part, I think, you know, was, was the hardest. It's that, that ego that wants to control all the things and still tell them what to do and maybe still rescue them from the situations that they're creating in their own life. But also, you know, there's been a lot of reflection for me on, okay, what wounding did I cause? Because I know I caused it. How am I living through that wounding and re- seeing it in them without totally living in shame and guilt myself? 
because nobody is going to do well with shame and guilt. But just also like learning to enjoy their process, their journey of, of their own life and the exploration of all the things that they are experiencing and, and how do I guide them without in a space where I'm also empowering them and then initiate, you know, did I do enough to initiate them into adulthood to make their own decisions and how much of that is their own choice, you know, to, to seek their path and how much of it is uh, me to just stay out of it. <laughs> That's, yeah. It's just this, it's a whole different world. I mean, not to be Aladdin or anything, but you know, <laughs> start singing. Uh, but it's like, yeah, it's like, wow, you're really on your own path and you're really doing all the adult things and whoa, wow. I hope I did it. I hope I gave you enough, you know? Yeah. It's really, it's very interesting. It, it's interesting because, you know, you've now walked two daughters through teenage years almost, yeah. you know, and so now you kind of get to start the teenage years over again with a 13 year old. Yeah. What do you see as like, like things you could do different or like new, like some strategies that you're like, oh, if I had known when the first one was 13, oh, you yeah. know? Oh, yeah. So my youngest catches on to this. And she says, and I'm a totally different kid, mom. You don't get to apply that to me. Like she's already preemptively like cutting me off at the past. She's like, I'm, I'm calling an interception, mom. This is not happening. <laughs> so, so I think some of the things that I, I look at is, was the myth, the myth as moms that we are too busy. I know that I didn't hold the space, right. And, and I wasn't as present with my, my older two. And mind you, you know, it was years ago when I was also coming out of a, a divorce and, and it was just so traumatizing. And so coming out of that level of toxicity was so, um, such an adjustment period for me. And I went from being a stay at home mom and homeschooling mom to back right into my career field, right back into radio. So then everything that it was like a shock to our fam familial system because they were used to me being home all the time. And then now I'm busy and I'm gone and my thoughts are scattered and my thoughts are elsewhere. And yet I'm trying to be with them. And then I was, you know, trying to just do the thing that in society that we're taught, we have to do, right. We're the moms that do all the things we are there for our kids all the time. We have the career, we have the job, we have the, the house stuff. We, we do the extracurriculars and it was just busy on overload to the point where it was affecting everything. And I just thought if I just kept grinding and I just kept doing the thing that it would somehow all work out. And a lot of times it somehow brought me to screeching halts in life. <laughs> it didn't, it didn't work out the way that I thought that it would. And that led me into having to get very creative and giving myself permission to make money in different ways that didn't look the way that I thought it would look with the one job. And just, you know, that would take care of it all. It would just be the blanket job and it would support us and we would be great. No, that's not how it worked at all. I mean, we had some really great times, but, but those, you know, teen years can be tumultuous, but they really, you know, I really wanted them to be more precious than that. Like I, I wanted them to be where the kids could tell me everything and anything. And for the most part they, they did, but you know, there, I just see that the time that I could have been more present and listened to them or not just written it off or dismissed it as being um, a teenage temper tantrum, but really gotten to the heart of it and really held them in their feelings and their emotions and also not let it trigger me because as we are healing, the things that come up with our kids is only a trigger for our adult stuff, where we then turn into the temper tantrum toddler, you know, 
there's so many times where it's just so triggering to us. And for me, what I have learned since is that's where my wounding is. That's the place where I have to go to heal. If it's triggering me to the point where I have such a huge reaction that I now have reduced myself to a three-year-old toddler, I better get a hold of my shit and take care of it. You know, <laughs> like that's that is that is my new focal point is that it's showing up for me to do something about instead of to bypass and to escape from or to just continue to dismiss them and dismiss myself and push my feelings down and then try to go on about life without ever addressing it like nothing happened. So, uh, you know, that's where I'm. I'm learning in that, well, if my youngest one triggers me, then I have some healing I need to go do and work my stuff out before I address it with her. <laughs> like give mom yeah. a pause for a minute. I'm going to go give myself a timeout. I'm going to go take a bath. Yeah. <laughs> Something. Um, and that, that, that has probably been the biggest thing and, and to really embrace her wants and her goals and her dreams and, and some of the things she wants to try and uh, not say no as much take the trips, you know, do the weekend things, do the dates. We just went to Wallace's yeah. and enjoyed Christmas there. And we took a bunch of selfies and it was great. It was just like, it's Christmas time. It's her favorite holiday. So that's what we went and did. And it's, it's great. You know, and I, and I feel a little guilty at times and I try not to, but um, you know, my oldest ones will see that I'm able to do things with the younger one that I wasn't able to do with them. And they're genuinely, they're like happy about it. You know, like I'm happy that she at least gets that. And I'm like, Oh God, I know. <laughs> yeah. It's well, I'm just wondering how much of those reflections are are based on are based on reality. You know what I mean when you say I wish I'd been more present or things like that. Like, was that really an option of being reality at that time? Because, like you said, you had a big job to do to guide your family through a really hard transition. So maybe it's not as easy as just saying like, "Oh, I wish I would have coulda," because yep. you were doing the best you could at that time. Yeah. I, and, and I was, and I knew, I knew that I was given what tools I had available and resources I had available to me. However, it's always that moment of like, I had, I known then what I know now kind of a thing there's, and, and there's no going back. There's no going back. This is where like the shame and the guilt, like I've made my apologies. I've owned up for where I have made mistakes. And I think that's super important as parents to just be like, you know what? Adults, so important. Yeah. Adults really don't have it all figured out. So many of us are operating out of you know, trauma or wounding or the perceptions of what we thought our lives should have been, you know, social programming, societal programming, the conditioning, um, even our own parents' expectations. A lot of times adults just live out that expectation through their whole life and never stop and go, wait, who am I outside of that? And so it's just really a lot of permission, giving permission to be wrong, permission to be human, permission to give ourselves um, the ability to say, we're sorry to our children um, and say, you know, I didn't have the answers then. I hope I can guide you now, but ultimately now as adults, it is their chance to heal and it's their chance to control like their life and, and choose what they want. They can co-create whatever they want to be in life. Go for it. You know? And, and I think it's just that supportive role that more than anything, I'm learning to kind of let go of the controller aspects of, um, it has to be this way to more like, so what do you want to do? Cause you got a whole life. Can I tell you about a time that I recently apologized to my kids? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I love, I love your baby stories. Okay. Yes. Um, this is, this is like the world's smallest thing, but, but, but I think it's important because of what you're saying about like acknowledging your humanity as a parent. So 
on Sunday, Turner went and got a whole bunch of donuts for us. Okay. Great Sunday morning breakfast. Okay. So we're all sitting around eating donuts and Abram had a donut and he asked for another. And we thought it's Sunday morning. We're enjoying a donut breakfast, like whatever. So we let him have have another. He asked for a third one and I snapped at him and I said, Abram, you can't just eat donuts all morning. And he responded, his little five-year-old self, he goes, mom, why are you yelling? (laughs) And I went, oh my God, why am I yelling? Number one, we have just given him two donuts. So like in his world, like why wouldn't there be three donuts? Right. Like to him, that was a perfectly reasonable question that if you want another donut, you would ask. And instead in my mom brain, I was like two donuts. That's cool, mom. Three donuts. That's terrible parenting. You're going to give him diarrhea and you're going to be paying for this for the next week. And so I automatically like lashed at him like, you can't have more donuts. That's not what we're doing today. You can have an apple. <laughs> I just, mom, why are you yelling? <laughs> I said, I'm so sorry. I have no idea why I was yelling. What I was trying to say was, you know, we thought it would be fun to have a little bit of a treat, but treats, you know, come to an end at some point. And at this point, if you're still hungry, it'd be more appropriate to have some food of sustenance. It was such like a good wake up call because there was no reason, especially for him. He was like, why would this be a moment for yelling? I'm about to get another donut. Maybe this is not a time for yelling. (laughs) But yeah, but I, I just think of like all the times that would have gone a long way for me as a kid for like to be, to be able to understand what the other person Mm -hmm. was thinking at the time, you know, and just be like, oh yeah, like that wasn't about me really in the donut. That was like my mom, like feeling guilty for having given me donuts. So I realize that's like a five-year-old version of what you're talking about, but that's like kind of what we're in the throes of, of like, you know, trying to be fun and cool. And then we yell and there's no reason for the yelling. And then our five-year-old checks us. I love it. I love it. Cause you know, really, I think our kids are our greatest teachers and, you know, listening to them in really their wisdom and, you know, not that it should mean he could eat the whole box of donuts. Right. But like right. being open to either giving him more choices or giving him a donut. (laughs) What's one more, you know? I mean, I was thinking maybe you were going to tell me he was on like the sugar high and something (laughs) crazy happened, you know? But instead, no, in his lack of sugar high, in his donut calm, in his donut zen. (laughs) Yo, mom, why why are you yelling? And it's like- Why are we yelling? We've got donuts here. (laughs) It's Sunday morning. I just got two. I'm on top of the world. That's so cute. But it really did feel good to like apologize to him and be like, this is why I yelled. And you're right. There was no reason for that. Yeah. Yeah. So you were worried about like maybe too much sugar, too much immune system, like tanking or, or whatever, you know, whatever us moms worry about where the the three donut threshold is just approaching too far, (laughs) mom. I have that narrative too, in my head where I'm like, oh, if I have one donut, it's fine. Cause like I work out and normally I eat healthy and whatever. And then you're like, Ooh, but I'll treat myself and have two. And like my inner monologue would be like, you're disgusting. If you have a third, you should never even think about that. And so I like did that to him. Yeah. See what I'm saying? It's so easy like, to do. It had nothing to do with him and the donut. It was like, it was almost like I had asked myself for the third donut. <laughs> ah, right, right. We put ourselves like how we, uh, I don't know if this projects the right word, but how we, we so closely relate to our kids that we literally put our stuff on them 
And and I, I, you know, I did that even with like body image stuff, you know, I have three girls. So, you know, my, my middle daughter was very good to explain to me what, how that impacted her, you know? And like, I didn't even realize how my commentary or my worry about how I was looking, because as you know, when you work in the public eye, we could get scrutinized, we get um, comments made. I mean, even things I would never think to say to another human being. Somehow people think because we're in the public eye or on TV or on the radio or whatever, that like suddenly it's free game. You know, right, right. No, people, this is not the Hunger Games. Get off me. (laughs) I've had three kids. Leave my butt alone. Um, But like, (laughs) but it's like, yeah, I uh, it's it's very interesting how how that just immediately translated over to how they were internalizing their body. And, you know, I'm so glad that you took the opportunity to just say to him like, yeah, you know what, kid, you are right. And that gives him this empowerment within himself. Like he's a, she, he's sure of what it was he was feeling and asking. And what, yeah. what more confidence could we want to give our children than to know that when they're right, that they can stand in it, you know? I think that's my biggest struggle as a parent right now, especially with having these two young boys is I yell a lot. I yell at them a lot and partially because they're absolute animals and like completely out of control. Um, But also, but like I was parented by yelling, you know what I mean? And so I have a lot of that like instinct. My parents did the best they could. You know, if somebody's listening, like it's not, I'm saying you did it wrong, but like, I just think that's like built in the bones to Yeah, we have this foundation, right? We have that imprint that gets left with us. And, you know, I loved the well-meaning Joni in her 20s when I had my first (laughs) baby, right? I'm never going to parent the way my parents parented. I'm doing everything differently. And for the most part, it started out that way. (laughs) And then as the kids get older and then you start like seeing all your triggers and you don't know why, like one of the things I I inherited, um, if this yelling makes you feel better is, is when I would get hurt, my dad would freak out and yell and love my dad at the same time, not his best quality. (laughs) He knows it. So I'm like, I'm never going to do that to my kids. No, the first time my kids are, are scraping their knees, I am like, my head is spinning. And it's like, I'm the exorcist and green pea soup spitting out of my mouth. Why am I angry that my kids are hurt? They are wanting the mother right. in me to come up and scoop them up and kiss their boo-boos and make it better. And I'm all like, what in the world? Like it just triggered this. And I, I had to think it's because I was scared. Any little thing, I was more afraid that they were going to be badly hurt or it scared me. So instantly I got angry, like, hello, liver issues, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> anger, anger stores up in your liver. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta take care of that and support that. So you don't have more tendencies to anger, but yeah. Okay. I did not crazy. know that. Oh yeah. Anger is stored in the liver. Oh yeah. So, oh, let's open up a whole new world. I told you, okay, I'm going to sing. So, uh, okay. Joni, Joni from homegrown health here to, <laughs> to break down the liver. Can't help myself. It just lives in me. Um, so yeah, we have in traditional Chinese medicine, there are organs attached with emotions. And I really didn't know how I felt about that, you know, until I saw it in real life, in my life, uh, I had grief during my divorce and I was, I just create this chronic cough happened. And, you know, I, had, I had nothing, no, te- every test came back. Okay. Like I had nothing that, that would seem out of the ordinary other than this cough. And a friend of mine who studied, you know, more Eastern style of medicine said, you know, 
you have a lot of grief right now. Didn't you know grief stores up in the lungs? And I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, every organ has an emotion attached to it and we have to fully process it. Sure enough, I looked up lungs and grief stores in your lungs, anger stores in your liver, fear stores up in your kidneys. And so I started seeing with my clients who I'm health coaching this very scenario happening. And actually this week on homegrown health, the podcast will be coming out here in um, the next couple of days. I talked to my very first client who I helped with this situation. His kidney was failing. And this is like my first client, right? So it's not like, Hey, I want to get some healthier habits going newly health coach person. It's hi, my organs dying. What can I do? And I don't want surgery. And, you know, so I was like, uh, so we started to address fear in his life and where fear and fury and how he channeled that in his profession as a lawyer and what he did. And we started addressing that on an emotional level and his, you know, we made very few like dietary changes and got caffeine and alcohol out of his system and ate more plant-based and really watched the type of protein we put in his diet, you know, because of his kidney. And that sucker is pink and flowing hundred percent like doing great. I like, I love your organ friend. I love your organ. It's, it's so cool when you start to address the emotional, like and some of the underlying emotional stuff in your body and how your body has to process it. Once you do, it's amazing. Okay. So that makes me think of a previous guest. Um, I think two episodes ago, I had a, um, a mom on here and she was talking about, um, helping her kids through trauma. And she talked about some book called the body keeps the score talking about trauma. Score. Yes. The That's a land of, yep. Yes. Okay. So is that like a similar concept here? Yes. Because it gets, things can get trapped in organs, trapped in our cellular memory, like even traumas from past lifetimes, depending on your belief system. So like, for instance, the oppression that women have experienced for years and years, is like being crazy and being minimized or, um, you know, being talked down to, or being expected to hold a, a more submissive position, like that imprinting can carry over on a cellular level through our ancestors directly into our body. So we may have this memory, or we might have like a leaning to towards a certain disposition and then realize like, wow, that was kind of messed up. Why would I do that? And there's more at work there than what kind of meets the eye on a, on a cellular level. It's so Hmm. such an interesting science when you break it down into those, those, you know, really the cellular level, everything on a mother level, on a cellular level today. (laughs) Well, so I'm getting into this, um, this sort of witchcraft as of late, um, Like my therapist was talking to me about the moon the other day and, you know, good therapist. You can consider, <laughs> you can consider yourself witchy. Um, if you follow like certain Instagram accounts, you know, that True. indicate your witchiness. Um, so yeah, like I'm, I'm very interested in this, like spirituality and, um, you know, the way that your mind manifests things and, and I don't know. It just, I'm on the very like early stages of exploring this stuff, but I find it really fascinating because I do think that, that, that we do hold like some level of power that we can harness for good or for bad. And I don't mean like we can turn people into like cats or something, but like, but you know, that we oh, can, man, I we wish. Can start to, <laughs> but we can start to, um, you know, control the, the flow of our lives with, with our thoughts in a, in a better way or at least in a more positive way. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there's um, a doctor named Dr. Bruce Lipton, and he has a book called Biology of Belief. And he's really the scientist that really started to spearhead the idea of positive thinking and our minds um, having an impact on what we are seeing in the external world. And by the way, I'll have you know, after homeschooling my children and after raising them, you know, pretty, I do herbs and we do things pretty much off grid. (laughs) As far as like, you know, modern medicine is concerned, we use it when we need it, but otherwise everything's about lifestyle and, and, um, you know, using more natural medicines and and different modalities that are used around the world that aren't often found in our culture. But nonetheless, they they learned about the Salem witch trial and they came home and they're like, oh, mom, you definitely would have been burned at the stake. Like, uh, what'd you learn in school today that you're, you would have been burned as a witch or you would have been drowned. I'm like, awesome. Good, good times. Good times. But yeah, this, this idea that, you know, everything is energy. And when you really start to study into some of the quantum physics of everything, um, um, there are neutrinos and there are these things with mass and, and, and these billions and billions of things impacting our energy space every day that literally is coming from like stardust and the planets and the moon. And it's all infiltrating, all impacting us all the time. And the best thing I can say about the full moon, if your therapist is wish that's what she was talking about is, you know, the earth's surface is 70% water. And everyone knows that when there's a full moon, it affects the gravitational pull, the magnetism, the tide, you know, you can get a higher tide and, or riptides. And so it's like, how is it, how foolish of us as humans to think that we wouldn't have the same effect or that it wouldn't have the same effect on us, given that, you know, our body is 70 to 80% water too, <laughs> even on a cellular level. Right. It's, yeah. It's yeah. And so um, there was another doctor, Dr. Emoto, who um, passed a few years ago. He is the, the scientist that discovered that water actually holds memory. And that's how from like the body keeps the score and memories of trauma and how it gets stored up is that, you know, just like a fractal and a snowflake, right? You, you can imprint um, the, the water, the, the cell can actually have a memory in, implanted in it. So, you know, that is really important to understand when you're processing things like trauma or, you know, inputs from just the atmosphere, you know, it's, it's super cool once you get into it. So do you have any like strategies along those lines or like things that guide your everyday life? Oh my gosh. Well, something I've done on T and she um, used to be a lawyer and then, you know, got into, I, I really like and resonate a little bit more with like more of the shamanic, uh, I guess, practices. It's really just recognizing that you're, you're one with the whole world, the whole universe, nature, all of it. You're not separate from nature, you are just a part of nature, right? We are nature. So when people have this pull to get out into nature, or they just feel like, oh, the world's too chaotic and too much is going on. I got to get out to the water. I got to get camping. I have to, that is really us going back to our natural habitat for remembering who we are and where we come from. And, um, there's, oh gosh, there's so many stories I want to sit, I want to share with you all at once here. Um, there is a man that I randomly met and I love, I love stories because I, I seem to have these little magical moments that pop up in life where I randomly meet strangers. I say randomly, but I think it's all for on purpose. Um, oh, yeah. that, you know, this guy I met, he hiked Kilimanjaro like, Oh, hi, we're on the elevator. You hiked Kilimanjaro. Do tell me about that. You know, I go straight into interview mode. I'm just like, Oh, really? Can I record this? But he, he was telling me that his guide 
uh, was talking with him about these like two week camping trips that he would take out in the middle of nowhere. And he would only have a GPS locator, but every year he just had this incessant need to like get out of the corporate world and like go and be, you know, a survivalist out in the woods and like hunt his food and make fire and sleep on the ground and have tents. And, you know, like his wife would just keep track of him with the GPS. And he said, you know, people ask him, don't you ever get lonely? And his guide um, who is of an indigenous descent, indigenous culture said, no, we never had the word lonely in our vocabulary, in our culture, in our, in our language, we never had the word lonely because it was understood that we are a part of nature. And so if we are not communicating with humans and not convening with humans, we are out in nature getting information and communicating and communing with like the trees and the animals and, and, you know, like spirit will send animal messengers. And like, so there's this constant flow of communication that doesn't, that is never indicative of the word lonely. And I loved that because at that time in my life, I was feeling quite lonely, you know, and I thought it's true. I'm, I'm never alone, whether it's, I mean, again, if the concept is energy is everywhere, blades of grass, have enough energy flowing through them that it's what brings the funnel cloud down to make a tornado touchdown. We could ask our friends, James or Eric about that, (laughs) but I learned this on the weather channel, right? Like a blade of grass can literally have enough energy in it to spark the, the funnel cloud to touch down. And you're like, that's amazing for a natural disaster like that to be able to happen from one blade of grass is like that blew my mind. And every part of my life in some way has always pointed back to this, this concept of, of not being separate from nature, but that we are a part of it and how it feeds our soul and how it gets us back to ground one, um, to like a a level of balance. That was just, it's fascinating. So you asked me a question about (laughs) my strategy with trauma. Um, nature is huge. Getting out into nature, having quiet time, having no cell phone time, having downtime, having time to just be in that space with the air and the birds and the trees, because it does so much more for our health than I think we even realize. Take your socks off and walk barefoot in the grass and get get the feeling from the ground, get some dirt underneath those toes, and then you can get a pedicure later. <laughs> <laughs> How would you say that the last 18 months have changed your life or changed your direction? Or um, I guess, where are you coming out of it today compared to who you were going into it in March of 2020? Oh, wow. Well, just definitely. I mean, I feel like I'm a a whole new creature, you know, really. I mean, it's like I've, it's like a snake sheds its skin, you know, that's a a shamanic principle that, you know, you're, you constantly give yourself permission to be reborn, to rebirth, to reinvent. I think as women, it's so important now more than ever that we are creative and that we give ourselves permission to tap into our creative flow and allow that to be where our abundance comes from instead of continuously putting that aside and putting ourselves aside. Um, in March of 2020, I was still at the radio station part-time and I had taken a job at Fresh Blends, one of my favorite places in the world for fresh juice yes. and smoothies and organic, organic foods that just are high vibrational and it just, you feel good and you go in there and you smell the smells of the fresh juice. And immediately we have a visceral reaction to that, right? As if 
our body needs those things in it. <laughs> you know, I mean, just, I, I don't think this is a new concept here. I do feel a little revolutionary with it, but it's truly the oldest concept in the book. And that is you are what you eat, Fe- feeding your body, the right fuel, feeding your body, the right food and letting your food be your medicine. That's, that's just one part of medicine uh, for our souls in my, in my book. But um, I decided to just slow my life down and work there part-time and pursue my podcast more and pursue other opportunities I decided I wasn't ever going to do anything that didn't light my world up. If my soul did not feel on total fire for the things that I'm doing, then I'm not doing it anymore. And that was a bold move for me because I gave myself permission during a pandemic to do it. And I think my kids were a little bit like, what are we going to do for money, mom? You You just can't dance to Lady Gaga every day. Okay. Like that is not going to pay the bills. Okay. You can't just do salsa at the mall or wherever, or now nowhere in a living room and get paid. Okay. And I was just like, watch me. And I I don't know what happened in me that just said, I'm going to do it. But I just knew that I had to, or I was something in me was going to not learn the lesson I wasn't going to push past the glass ceiling, right? I was only stopped by my own limitations, my limitations about money, my limitations about being a single mom, my limitations about, you know, oh, great. Now I don't have radio anymore. My career of 20 over 20 years, what am I going to do? And then I went, I could look at it two ways. I could drink almost every day and binge watch Netflix. Like I wanted to, to be quite honest, or I decided that I could utilize the downtime and this coming home to ourselves. I could utilize that time to truly get serious about my health, my well-being, and really start tackling some of the healing issues that I always felt like I didn't have time for. I did. I took full advantage of that downtime and it changed my life. It changed what I'm doing as a as a source for sources of income. I went back to school and I got my certifications as a natural health coach. And I see clients now. And then I also, through my client as an attorney, my first client was a lawyer, he's an attorney, a trial attorney. And through our conversation, through him getting to learn about what it is that I do through you know, him learning about my divorce and my trial that I went through as my own paralegal, he said, I really think you could help my clients tell their stories from a powerful place. Would you be willing to do that? Would you be on, oh my, my, gosh. Be on my trial team? And yeah, this is, this is the catching up part. That's so fun because you don't even know this yet, but yeah. Oh my so, God. So for the last, you know, six months or more, I have not only did we, you know, get his kidney up and running, <laughs> but, uh, I've been trying out these, the natural health concepts and applying those to him as an attorney and how he does his work and how he prepares for trial and what supplements we're taking that help him to be his best mentally and physically during the trial, because it is so strenuous, but then also getting to meet with his clients and helping prepare them for what's going to happen in trial and help them not be more traumatized by the experience, but to come out on the other side with some kind of closure. And it's been one of the most beautiful teams I've ever worked on. It's everybody is in the same space of um, taking care of our health, uh, the shamanic aspect, you know, it was like learning to go with the flow of where life is carrying us, not only as individuals, but as a collective, as a whole. I mean, the old way of doing things just seems so foreign to me now, you know, the grind, busting ourselves, you know, day in and day out. And just thinking that if we work harder, if we try more, if we get less sleep, if we grind it out, like that somehow we're going to be successful. That is not 
the idea of success in my mind. Being able to be with my children and be present with them is successful and not having work take precedent over my kids and still make enough money to live is that's successful to me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, congratulations. If I were to draw up like a career path for you, I wouldn't even have like known to dream that as a job you could do, but it's, it was made for you. It, it just you know happened. What I mean? Yeah. And what's so great about it is like my career path looks like I went off-roading and got lost. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, as embarrassed, like people, the hardest question I have when people ask me like, so what do you do? And I'm like, <laughs> can you ask me a different question, please? because I like, how much time do you have? Because, you know, I've done so many things and I'm passionate about so many things. My, my kind of prayer has always been to put out there that it would start to slow down and I would be able to narrow it down into being able to do all the things I love into kind of one thing. And so far this is, it's happening with this, you know, I'm able to see clients. I'm able to work from home. I'm an entrepreneur and I'm working with a trial team on helping people get through one of the hardest times of their lives and tell their story from that space where the defense is not, it's not going to break them that their character is getting assassinated and smeared, Right. you know, that it's not going to add further insult to injury, that they're trying to be discredited, even though they're the ones with the injury or who had lost the loved one, you know, it's really dirty (laughs) the way that it it happens, the way that uh, they have to do that to try to win for their client. I understand the, the nature of the of the playing field that you're entering into, but it does not have to be as traumatizing and closure can be had. And um, had I not walked through that on my, by my, myself, I don't know that I would have had much to offer in this, in this particular realm. So yeah, it, it's beautiful. And we just won a case in Sioux city, Iowa, actually. And um, it was really beautiful preparing her to help her tell her story, even though she was amid, you know, a, an employer who, um, you know, wrongfully terminated her and smeared her, her character and really tried to assassinate her on that stand. And she persevered through it. And now she's just beaming. It's just like, wow, the good guys won, you know, the good guys won and it's for the people and power to the people has always been one of my, (laughs) one of my things. So yeah, it's really great, Denise. Thank you. Well, and knowing some of the things that you had gone through with your marriage and your divorce and things like that, those are things that, you know, you said you're still trying to heal from and gosh, what a gift this is in your own healing to help heal others. It's like, you wouldn't want to plan it that way to have it come full circle. And yet it's like perfect. Yes. And this is the thing I think I learned is, is one, you know, uh, the lawyer I work with, we we say this all the time, the answers to your prayers don't always look like what you think they're going to look like. Right. And then also it's the idea that the universe has got your back. You are not going to be set up to fail here. Heal your stuff, stay open to it. And what you need will show up, just be open to it. And that's where that whole vibrational aspect comes in, right? If you're going to stay in victim mentality and stay in shame and stay in blame and stay in guilt and stay in pointing the finger and never think that you can take, you know, responsibility for your life and and never believe that you can absolutely co-create with the universe, the life of your dreams. If you think that, then that's what you'll get. But if you dare to expand your mind a little bit more and open your heart a little bit more and just go, you know what? There's still goodness in the world, no matter what's going on. I have seen more goodness in the last 18 months. I have had more faith in our world and in humanity in the last 18 months. And I know that might be sounding crazy to think about, but my life- That's Bananarama. As someone who's told the news every night, that's Bananarama. (laughs) 
summer banana rama because i you know i can karate kid to that <laughs> that song but yeah in this space of despair for so many people i have had the most hope because here's why i think the ugly has to come to the surface the ugly has to come to the surface so we know what's ugly right because otherwise it's hidden so what we've seen is a lot of the ugly come to the surface and that helps you as an individual sort out where your core values are and who reflects that for you in your life. And again, it probably didn't look the way you thought it was going to look, but you have to ultimately choose your trajectory. You have to ultimately go, is this feeding my soul or is this not? And is this person's mindset something I want to be around? Is the friend that I've had for you know years and years and years, are they reflecting the alignment in my life? you know what? They're really not. And that is okay. I can love you anyway. I can love myself too. And I can just keep going after the thing that my soul feels freest in and just go and just go. And, and that's, that is where I am right now, I guess. And just going, trying to go with the flow and, and not let my ego get in the way. Cause I, cause Janice thinks she's got to control something. I've named my ego Janice. I tell her she's got to sit down often. <laughs> Janice, have a seat in the back. I'm going to go ahead and drive this thing now. Yeah. <laughs> um, you are the second person today to tell me the universe has your back. I think that's interesting. Then you know what? Then it must be true. Then it must be coming your way, coming in hot, coming in hot. <laughs> I've, I've been reading this book called Signs, and um, it's a little... I don't know. Like I said, it's a, it's a little witchy. It's a little bit like asking, you know, you're asking um, like your loved ones who have crossed, they say crossed, to send you gifts. And they're the reason you find, you know, playing cards out on the street and stuff like that. And I don't, I don't totally know about that, but it is helping me to say the things that I want out loud and expect them to happen as opposed to thinking the things that I'm afraid of will happen and like harboring those and keeping those in a little box inside my chest, you know, and putting so much energy towards like worries and fears, those things end up happening because those are the ones you're putting all your energy towards. Correct. And so what I've had to learn, especially right in the last 18 months, when I looked at it, I look at it, if energy is energy and everything's energy, right? And that's the principle with which I live by. It takes the same energy to go into fear as it does to go into joy and hope you can, you have a choice. And I think that's the, probably one of the most profound things that I learned is that I can choose how I want to feel about this in every moment. I don't have to default into the fear, but that I can choose to go, okay, that is information. I keep the energy <laughs> neutral. I don't go into the fear. I go, oh, look at that. And here's one of my, here's one of my favorite lines. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Look at that fear thing trying to happen right now. Now you've not served me well before fear. So I'm just going to choose to think other things about this. Instead of giving my energy, the fear, I'm going to imagine what I want out of this situation. So if I want health and abundance out of the situation, then that's where I put my energy directly into envisioning the thing it is that I want for me and my family and the thing and the joy and getting into that emotion of it. And next thing you know, I'm so damn excited about whatever's about to happen <laughs> that like, I don't even remember that I was scared five minutes ago. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so if we circle back then to Hoda Kotb's podcast, um, her yes. first yes. episode was with a pastor 
And he said two things that stuck out to me. Number one, he said, it's only crazy until it happens, which I love because it's true. Like it's no longer crazy when it happens. And then number two, have the audacity to say what you want and write it down. I like that word, the audacity. Like I say that a lot to be sarcastic. Like she said that to me, the audacity, you know, but also like have the audacity to like think what you think and want what you want. And to write it down and say it out loud. And I love, I don't know, maybe it's just because I like that that $5 word audacity. Oh, but. no, I think that's a perfect word. And I love how <laughs> you use it in all forms because I could hear you saying it as soon as you said audacity. I was like, I know how she's saying that sometimes. <laughs> I love your sense of humor. I really do. And I love how, how you just pick up on things and you just run with it. It's so, it's so comedic to me. I love it. And at the same time, think about what a bold move it really is to say what you want, to say the things. I mean, after years, again, this goes back into all those years where we have pushed ourselves down. We have disconnected from our intuition. We have not stood in our power. We have not stood in and and held space for ourselves because we'll do it for everybody else first. And it's like, yeah, put on your own oxygen mask, you know? And as cliche as that sounds, we tend to forget it in every moment, except for when something major happens with our health and we need to put our own oxygen mask on. And then we have a crisis and then we're, you know, playing cleanup. And then now we're going, now what, now what? Well, if we get ahead of it by honoring and having the audacity to live the life of our dreams, um, unapologetically and, without care and worry what other people think, because they don't have to live with our, they don't have to look at themselves. They don't have to look at me in the mirror at night. At least I hope not. Cause some of this thing <laughs> that comes off and it's a whole different ball game lady. Not true. Like, <laughs> you may not wear a lot of makeup and you are stunning. So I love you. I have missed you so much, my friend. I missed you too. Um, so yes, we just, you know, it's like just giving ourselves the permission to say the things, you know, I said what I said, like, say it, <laughs> do it, live it, be it, breathe it. Who cares what other people think? I, I'm in my forties now. And I like to call them my effort forties because when you F it, you just start to really not care what other people think. And you start to care more about what it is you think and how it is you've been speaking to yourself and how it is you've been, what your message in your own mind has been towards yourself. And like, I haven't really been that kind to myself. I've been a mean girl to myself. Like I'm done with that. Like F it. <laughs> I'm living it, living it up. You just got it, you know, just, and it is so much just about giving yourself permission to try. And you know what, guess what? If I failed and I didn't make money at something I did, I wouldn't do it anymore. I could go get another job somewhere. Like it's not the end of the world, but we are so emotionally attached to security and money in a way that is unhealthy because it's a story we told ourselves or a story we learned from our ancestors and our family growing up. Money stories that like, we just don't give ourselves permission to explore, but it's one life, you know? Yeah. And I don't ever- Was there a lot of identity for you in who you were on the radio? Was that, um, was there a letting go there? I'm glad I started the healing work before. And I also glad I started a podcast in 2012 that's been going since then, um, before radio was finalized, you know, COVID just, you know, anything part-time was just out. They're still not hiring anyone. 
And that for a long time, I mean, I was 17 when I started radio. So it was very much a part of my identity. It was also very much a part of how I learned how to perform for people, right? It was very much how I got approval from my parents in some weird way, because I thought performing in a capacity in the entertainment industry was what got me approval. And it's what got me liked. And for a while there, you know, when you get to have opportunities with celebrities and you get really great interviews and you get to be kind of in that inner crowd, you know, that's fun. That is so fun. And, and people are like, oh, we're so jealous. I'm like, no, literally a meet and greet is five minutes. It's not like I got to have dinner with Luke Bryan and hang out with him and go fishing. And right. him. I didn't go to his child's birthday party either. Don't worry. We just met <laughs> It was a, a meet and greet shake, a picture opportunity, and then you're on. Like people think it's so much more glamorous than what it really is, you know? But oh, it's um, still pretty cool though. It is still pretty cool. And I I I have no regrets, none whatsoever. <laughs> it was just so fun. <laughs> but you know, it's it's this idea that that you know that was such a part of who I was, then you know, what where is my voice outside of that? And it was about, you know, I don't know, 2016, 2017. When I really started to realize that I was talking at people through a microphone, but I really wasn't talking with them. I really wasn't engaging with them. And that's what I love. I love the interviews. I love the conversation. I feel like that's where my heart opens up and beams. I feel like it's where their heart opens up and beams. And I'm like, okay, so I kind of had a sense that I was on my way out anyway, but Hey, I still like free parking at the tax slayer center. So I've not gonna, (laughs) I wanted my media pass. Okay. Like keep my toe in the water. Plus I love my listeners. Like, you know, I still get people that come up to me at places, you know, who, who will remember uh, something they won or remember a remote that we did together or a, a, you know, a concert that we were at together. And it's cool. It's, I, I do, I've always loved interacting with our listeners. And so that part, I, I think I've missed the most, but you know, some of the other aspects of it and being kind of told what to say and how to say it. And it needs to meet this quota. I don't miss, I really don't miss that aspect of it because yeah. it's just, it's too restrictive. And I'm really into this expansive thing. <laughs> well, you are clearly thriving. You are all lit up inside looking. You always do have that, that lit up look in your eyes, but where can people find the podcast and connect with you? So I'm on SoundCloud, um, iTunes. You can just subscribe to the podcast. It's called Homegrown Health. And I really am, I'm so looking forward to getting this one uh, on, on the air this week with uh, the lawyer that I work with and talking about the, you know, what we do. And um, yeah, and you can find me on Facebook as well. And if you're on Instagram, I'm at the only just Joni. And that's, that's where I live. It's so original. Joni, thank you so, so much. Denise, thank you. I love you to pieces. I love you to the moon and back. And I think you are a fabulous human. Thank you for doing this podcast for mamas. You have been listening to the WQAD podcast network.